This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in African American Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Adam Xavier McNeil. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Erica Armstrong Dunbar, the Charles and Mary Beard Professor of History at Rutgers University, New Brunswick. Dr. Dunbar is on the program to discuss her new book, She Came to Slay, The Life and Times of Harriet Tubman, published by 37 Inc., an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dunbar. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me, Adam. Definitely, definitely. And so, you know, before we begin, congratulations on the publication of your brand new book, Dr. Dunbar. You are now a published Tubman scholar. You know, can you tell us how you came to write She Came to Slay? Yeah. Well, first, thank you for um, thank you for being kind and for uh, acknowledging me as a Tubman scholar. It's an honor. Um, and you know, it's an honor. It's a, a process that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Um, so a while back, uh, my editor, Don Davis, um, approached me and she uh, had been in conversation with, uh, Deborah Martin Chase, executive producer of Harriet, the film. And she knew, uh, that the film would be released in the fall of 2019. And she asked if I would be interested in, um, writing basically a new um, uh, contemporary version of a biography on Tubman. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that I was thinking about doing, which is different for most historians. Most historians, you know, we have something, um, a passion project that uh, we work on for many, many, many years. And finally, it comes to fruition in a book, something between um, covers and so this was somewhat different in that I was approached to write this book in part because my last book centered the life of a fugitive woman. And so um, I, it was a sort of, I don't know, a suggestion that uh, I really needed to think about expanding that and to include other women who were fugitives in, um, uh, in the 19th century. And so I, I said, of course. And really, the the first thing that I did was I reached out to a couple of Tubman scholars, um, folks who had written texts uh, about 15 years ago, um, Catherine Clinton, and um, was the first person that I talked to, Kate Clifford Larson as well. uh, And both were extremely helpful and uh, gracious. And I just sort of set about trying to write a book a biography of Tubman that was different from others, um, and that would be something that um, 
resonated in 2019 at a moment in time in which uh, the Harriet film, a conversation about Harriet on the $20 bill, that sort of all of these things were coming together and it seemed to be the perfect time to think about Tubman and perhaps refashion her a bit. And, and your book is one that is picking up a lot of buzz. You know, social media is buzzing. And so, you know, that's a huge, huge uh, way that a, a lot of people like my mother uh, came to find out along with my other family members. And so your title is amazing. You know, it's, you know, she came to slay. That's a great title. So we cannot get too far into the conversation without asking about the title of the book. Did you already have she came to slay in mind early in the process? Not at all. I was, um, you know, I sort of knew that I wanted this book to be um, fresh. I wanted it to be contemporary. And I think that's important when, uh, for, for historians who spend so much time in the 18th and 19th century, like myself, um, it's, I think, sometimes important to be able to connect to audiences um, that live in the present and that um, sort of think about the 21st century uh, more often than not. And so I, I was writing um, the book and I, I knew that I wanted to come up with a title that would resonate for um, not just sort of millennial readers, but uh, younger readers, um, people who were sort of connected to contemporary culture. And I, I kept thinking, okay, what, who's a marker? What, who does everybody know and sort of think about in a contemporary kind of way? And of course, you know, it was Beyonce who popped into my mind and perhaps I was watching, I don't know, homecoming. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but I just sort of automatically thought, um, Hmm. Well, we think so much about Tubman. Um, as a warrior and warriors come, you know, they slay and they slay all day. And so that's sort of how I came to the title. And I, I brought the title to my editor and she, uh, she signed off on it immediately. So, and I'm hoping it also signals to the reader that throughout the book, um, there are moments or connects to current culture. So in the book, there's a, there's there are call outs in the book. So there's a section um, called Harriet's homies. Right. And it's a, a section about who Harriet Tubman's friends were in the 19th century. You know, and it's John Brown and Frederick Douglass and uh, Lucretia Mott and, you know, famous 19th century scho- uh, uh, historic, historical figures. But um, I frame it as a more contemporary understanding of who her peeps were. Uh, there's another section called Let Me Rap to You Real Quick, and it's famous Harriet Tubman quotes. And so um, the call-outs, in addition to um, a significant number of illustrations, allowed me to sort of present Tubman um, in a different light. And it's a particular light that is amazing. And, and as you mentioned before, I believe is going to resonate with a, a number of different audiences. And so uh, with that as well, you know, you're you, like we had mentioned before, you're now, you know, a, the newest member uh, of the Tubman Scholar uh, tradition. And so during the research and writing process for She Came to Slay, did you come across any new information and or insights about Harriet Tubman and her life that you might not have known prior to beginning the writing process? 
Yeah, you know, I think that um, I knew a lot about Tubman. You know, I've taught Tubman. Um, I've benefited from the scholarship of other biographers um, who've done a lot of work on Tubman. So um, there was a, a text that came out in 2008 on Tubman. Um, uh, by Beverly Lowry, as I said before, Catherine Clinton and Kate Clifford Larson's work came out about 15 years ago. Um, uh, there are documentary readers with essays, uh, people like Lois Horton uh, and others have, have written um, about Tubman. And so, you know, it wasn't my... It wasn't my plan to go into archives and write... Um, write a text with um, sort of brand new information that, that, you know, of course I've written books like that, but that wasn't, to be honest, it wasn't my primary goal. Um, it was my goal to kind of harvest that information, the information that I had known from studying her and teaching her, um, and then to refashion it and present it um, in a new way. There was one, I would say the one sort of archival um, surprise uh, was shared with me by um, uh, Kate Clifford Larson. And um, there's a, a, a photo of Tubman that appeared in a newspaper um, in the early 20th century that really had never been used before. It, I think it had been used um, much earlier in the 20th, middle of the 20th century, but um, hasn't really been a part of any of the, any of the biographies. Um, and it's a, an image of her that um, is not well known. And so I'd say archivally, like that was the, uh, the, the surprise and the, um, uh, contribution to the text that um, I hadn't seen before, hadn't thought about before. And once again, it helps us visualize Tubman differently. And I think that's one thing that I wanted to do with the book. And I had illustrations in part because as all of us who work on enslaved people uh, in the 18th and 19th century, you know, we don't have much in the way of visual markers um, of our subjects. And while there are many photos of Tubman later on in her life, as well as the more recent, um, recently displayed image of her down at the National Museum of African American History and Culture at, uh, in DC, um, the, most of the imagery we have of Tubman is as an older woman, right? And so her head is covered, her, her hands are clasped, and um, I was very interested in helping readers imagine Tubman at different moments in her life. What did Tubman look like as a girl? Mm -hmm. What did Tubman, and of course, at that point, she's not Tubman, she's Araminta Ross, right? What did Araminta Ross look like as a girl? What did Araminta Ross look like when she's a, a teenager and she is... Um, confronted in, with a, a difficult situation that ends up with her um, skull being fractured and changing her life. What does she look like when she's um, married to John Tubman? And so all of these things, these images of her as a younger woman, I, I thought were very important. And because we don't have those photos, I worked with a really talented artist 
um, to Monica Ahanunu, Ahanu, who helped me kind of bring her to life. Um, and I think that as we deconstruct Tubman, that we have to understand her as more than just the person who um, spent nearly a decade on the Underground Railroad um, saving, helping people, saving people, that, you know, that was an important part of Tubman's life and what we know her for in terms of her fame. But that was only, what, 10 years at the most of her life? And Tubman lived until her 90s. And so she was a much more complicated, nuanced uh, person. And I was hoping to really get at that in part by um, a strong visual presence for this, this book. So I, you know, I would really call this, this biography different in that respect. Um, I wanted people to see Tubman um, and think about the, the girl, the young woman, the woman, the elderly woman, and how she changes over time. Correct. And, and one of the questions I actually have for you specifically about, you know, Tubman and the, the varying Tubmans that people know and maybe the Tubmans that people maybe not know. Uh, but before we get there, I want to lo- know a little something from you as the author. Do you remember the first time that you actually learned about Harriet Tubman? Mm, that's, you know what? I actually hadn't even thought about that while I was um, writing, except for, you know, I had flashbacks, of course, um, thinking about Tubman. But I actually believe the first place that I learned about Tubman was in Sunday school. Um, and it wasn't necessarily in my, so my grammar school that it was um, in Sunday school. And sort of, I remember images of her in the Sunday school classroom, uh, which isn't surprising when we think about Tubman's um, close and deep relationship with Christianity. Um, and so I remember images of her from Sunday school. And then uh, sort of, you know, a few kind of black history moments that whizzed by uh, in grammar school. And it probably wasn't until I went to college uh, where I was able to kind of study Tubman um, in a more kind of um, in-depth and um, critical way. Uh, but really, it's funny, you know, you asking me that makes me think automatically about um putting on tights and patent leather shoes and (laughs) mints in my grandmother's purse and um, sitting in Sunday school um, learning uh, Bible verses, but also um, thinking about Harriet Tubman. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Uh, you know, th- those kinds of memories are, are, are amazing. And, and I'm glad that I asked you that question because, um, you know, that wasn't exactly on my, on my particular list. But as you spoke... Uh, that particular question about the the first time that you you know like I said before as a as a as a new Tubman scholar you know something to reflect on and so um, you know it also coincided with my next question thinking about depictions 
So your book is not only coming out, you know, it's officially going to be released on November 5th, but there's something else that's happening in November, on November 1st, and that's the release of the new Harriet film. Uh, and so can you talk to us about, you know, your your connection to the film, you know, and also, you know, it's, it's happening around the same time. So must not by, be by coincidence, huh? <laughs> well, you know, no, it was not by coincidence at all. It was a completely designed um, to, um, you know, I, I think it's important for um, for readers to have something to turn to after they go to the movies. Right. And so um, I was not um, involved with the production of the film. Um, uh, I've I've been in conversation with uh, Deborah Martin Chase, executive producer, but um, more about sort of us thinking about these projects coming out at the same time. And, um, you know, what I'll say is that I'm I'm thrilled that. Uh, first of all, that this is a film that's being released right now in 2019. I think it's an important moment. It sort of reminds us of the power of Black women uh, with a very kind of heavy-hitting all-star Black um, black woman team to put this film together, um, thinking about the writer, the director, executive producer. Um, and that's no small feat. In Hollywood, and I think we have to we have to recognize that and embrace it and hold it up. And so um, I was excited just uh, when I understood that the film would be released this year, um, and who the the sort of major players were. That was important to me uh, because I think uh, you know you hear a different story, and this gets into the importance of voice. You know whose voice. Um, is centered in the depiction of Harriet, who gets to shape and tell the story of Harriet. And I think it's, it's extremely important to have Black women centered in that project in a way that we never have been before. Uh, and that's not to say that the contributions by other scholars um, or even other um, TV filmmakers, um, that it hasn't been important. But I do feel like uh, we're in a moment now where there's more opportunity, that there have been some folks who've uh, kind of cleared the way and allowed for this to happen in addition to to serious work. And so I've seen the film. I saw an early screening of the film. Um, and, you know, the one thing that filmmakers have to deal with that biographers don't, writers don't, is that um, they have two hours, basically, to tell a story. They have two hours to pull in their reader, their uh, viewer, and they have two hours to um, tell us everything that they could or decided to about Tubman. And so they made the decision, as did I, to focus on a young Tubman. And with two hours, really, they're only able to cover um, her life as uh, a young woman, um, just sort of right before her escape. Um, the uh, the actual escape and um, her work on the Underground Railroad and a brief sort of um, ending with her engaged in um, military action in the Civil War. And, you know, it, it, the, the film ends in a, a really sort of a powerful note. Uh, but what I imagine viewers will say is, 
Well, what happened afterwards? What happened to, to Harriet Tubman after the Civil War, after slavery ended? And that's where I'm hoping that people will turn to She Came to Slay to think about what the next half a century looked like for Tubman. She lived for more than a half a century after the end of the Civil War. And um, her life is is kind of symbolic of the difficulties of Black people in the years following the war, no matter where you lived. Um, and so I'm hoping that the film and the book can kind of work in tandem. And, and you know, Dr. Dunbar, you are one of our leading historians on the experiences of early Black women, uh, in, you know, in the United States. And so my question for you is, what does Tubman mean to you as a scholar of this particular history and that you are now writing about her in this particular venue at this particular time? What does that mean for you as a person, but also as, you know, the chronicler? or one of the chroniclers uh, of, of, of Tubman? Mm-hmm. No, it's a great question. I think um, I feel a tremendous amount of gratitude. I feel um, fortunate that I have an opportunity, that I have a platform to introduce or reintroduce the lives of formerly enslaved people or those who never made it from the bonds of slavery into a larger narrative of American history. And so, you know, in addition to feeling grateful and fortunate um, that I have the opportunity to do this, to attempt to, as, as scholars um, say often, to not necessarily rescue people from the archives because or from, um, uh, from uh, almost from erasure, but you know, I, I, I sort of feel like these, these stories, these lives are, are hiding not necessarily Tubman, but I'm sort of stretching your question here to, to mm-hmm, think more mm-hmm. broadly about Black women's history in early America. And, you know, I think that the stories are there. We're, we're simply, uh, they're waiting to be found and they're waiting to be shared. Um, and they're, waited, they're waiting to be used as intervention. And I think, um, you know, the, bio- the existing biographies of Tubman, as well as She Came to Slay, um, continues to move that work forward that uh, I can't really imagine American history uh, without the lives of fugitive women. I can't, I don't know what that history looks like. Unfortunately, I didn't grow up in an era in which um, that was the norm. I came of age and started graduate school um, 10 years after the first texts on enslaved women um, really kind of hit the shelves. And I'm thinking about my colleague, Dr. Deborah Gray White. I, I was in graduate school after R&I Woman um, uh, was published. And so I really had the benefit of uh, going to graduate school at a time in which it was not necessarily considered rare or um, foolish. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's use that word, foolish, to think about Black women's history. Um, yet there still weren't enough texts. And so that made the work, um, more difficult for people in my sort of generation, my cohort. And what's so beautiful is 
you know, I look, I stand back and I look at all of the new work that's been recently published or um, will be published soon. And um, it's exciting. And I think, wow, look at the field. The field has grown exponentially in over the past four decades. And um, I just feel deeply honored to be a part of that growth, to be a part of that field. And um, I'll, I'll say it here, but I, I think the field of U.S. history, that the most exciting work in U.S. history, early U.S. history, revolves around the lives of Black women. And I think scholars like myself and others who are contributing to that narrative um, are not simply rescuing um, stories and bringing these folks into the mainstream or into the light, but in many ways, I feel like we're we're rescuing the field of American history. Hey, you know, I like hey, Dr. Dunbar said it. Dr. Dunbar said it. I'm, I'm her student. I'm her grad student at Rutgers. So if y'all hear this, just know this is this is why this is why I am where I am. You know, because of what you know, Dr. Dunbar just said, and you know, she is. Like I said, one of our best chroniclers of not only early American history, but early black women's history. And so, you know, Never Caught, there's a reason why that book was amazing. Not only because, you know, she wrote it, but because of the passion that she provides into her work. And as one of her students who's in the classroom with her, believe me, there ain't no drop off. There is no drop off. Let me tell you. Um, And so in the brief amount of time that we have left with you, Dr. Dunbar, um, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, the film and your connection to it along with your book. And so one of the things that I've noticed about Harriet Tubman and how people use particular word, you know, words and statements that she maybe said or maybe not had said. Can you talk to us about some of the misnomers about Harriet Tubman that you believe filmgoers going into the premiere weekend maybe have about Harriet Tubman that might get you know, changed either in the film or especially in your particular book? Mm, Yeah, no, I think that, um, I don't know if it's misnomers. I think it's really just such a, it's a very limited Mm. scope when we think about Tubman. I mean, in in reality, um, people know very little about Tubman. I was, uh, my son came in, of course, my son's 15 years old and he, um, I don't know, there's this new app or something called mm-hmm. TikTok where they're filming videos or whatever. So, and of course, we've been talking a lot about Tubman recently. And he comes in to show me this TikTok, this video um, that supposedly took place on Harvard University's campus where uh, there was a person going around with an image, a photo of an elderly um, Harriet Tubman asking students who was Tubman. Now, once again, I don't know the citations. I don't know if this was exactly Harvard University, but that's what the mm-hmm. TikTok video said. And they were asking these students, um, all of whom were white, uh, "Do who, who's this woman? And none of them knew who she was. None of them. They said Rosa Parks. They said, uh, so it was actually shocking that even um, the image of Tubman that we all think is sort of iconic um, was still somewhat unknown to the, some of the most educated people or people we claim to be the most mm-hmm. educated in the nation. And I think part of that has to do with the way Tubman is introduced when we think about um, curriculum in the schools. And, you know, it's that top of the page 
uh, of the textbook with uh, maybe a page, maybe a page of text um, about her. Uh, typically her uh, image sort of standing tall, um, an older woman, and that's it. And maybe maybe you hit that in February. Uh, maybe you've seen images uh, on Black History Month and um, other related materials. But um, I actually think that it's not that people don't have the inform- wrong information about Tubman. Mm-hmm. I think they just don't know much. They know her name. And I think if each student, as opposed to you know having to, to look at an image, and ask, you know, who's this person? I think if the students were asked the question, do you know who Harriet Tubman is? Almost all of them would have said, yes, she was, uh, she escaped from slavery and she was on the Underground Railroad. That that probably would have been a common response. And I think a lot that what's important for me with the film and uh, for She Came to Slay is to be able to wed text with imagery, with images, um, the the film, of course, will wed that uh, image of, of Tubman to someone who's not Tubman, uh, but uh, help the, the viewer think about a younger woman. All of the images I've used in my, um, all of the photos I've used in my book are um, authentic photos of her. And then, of course, um, the illustrations that help us think about what she looked like. So I think there's more, um, as opposed to, undoing sort of uh, uh, misunderstandings about uh, Tubman, that this is just uh, complicating her life and letting viewers know that there's more about Tubman. And for me, when she came to slay, it's really sort of thinking about her life from, uh, from cradle to grave. How did, how did Tubman Araminta Ross get here? Why was she on the Eastern shore of Maryland? Who was her direct connection um, to the African slave trade? And so my book begins not with Tubman's birth in and around 1822, but it begins with the descendant we can connect to the African slave trade. And that was her grandmother, a woman who traversed the mid-Atlantic, the, uh, the Middle Passage and arrived in uh, Maryland sometime in the mid to late 18th century and uh, was named Modesty. And so my book begins there. It begins uh, with first contact uh, and ends with um, Tubman's death in 1913. Wow. An epic, an epic, an epic story that I cannot wait to, to, to have, first of all, my mom read and you know, I know, hey, mom, I know you're listening there. Um, and so uh, I have one last question to ask you. It's more so like a, like a, you know, like a kind of like playful question, I guess. If you could ask sure. Harriet Tubman, if you could resurrect her for one night only, and you had, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start with one. And if you have others, then that's fine. But we'll just say for the sake of this, if you could ask Harriet Tubman any question, what would it be? Oh, well, the question I would want to ask, I don't know that I would because it's intimate, mm. right? Um, and But I, the question that I would want to know um, is I'd want to know more about that moment that um, she returns to Maryland. She's She escapes in 1849 and she leaves behind her husband, John Tubman, who was a free man. Uh, who lived on the Eastern shore with her. And she returns eventually, maybe 18 months or so after her departure. 
And she goes into hiding immediately and she wants very much to connect with him. It's her plan to bring him back to Pennsylvania with her. And she is confronted with sort of devastating news. She, she hears that he actually does not want to see her. And this is a, this is a sort of um, fact that is some, it's played very differently in the film. Um, But the fact was that she was rejected, that he uh, was not interested in seeing her again, that he had basically hit reset on his life and um, married another person, a free woman who, uh, you know, had basically replaced Harriet. And to, to marry a free woman meant that he would never have to worry about his wife or his children uh, being sold, or at least technically, uh, technically he actually should have worried about that. But um, logistically, they were free people. And so when Harry returns, she is, she's, she's in the film, she's heartbroken. In her, the narrative that she gives later on in her life in 1869 to Sarah Bradford, she, Tubman's angry. And She's ready to fight this man. And she says she was ready to, to go in their cabin and basically turn it out. And, uh, but she chooses not to, right? She understands that any, um, unwanted attention would blow her cover. And so I think the question that I would, I would ask her is, you know, what did, how did you reconcile that great, um, that pain, you know, having, risked your life walking back into the jaws of slavery, walking back to uh, the exact area where you are being hunted for a man whom you loved and who's decided that he no longer wants to be with you. How did you reconcile with that pain? Uh, and what was that experience like? So I would have asked, I would want to ask her that. But of course, if Harriet Tubman appeared before me, that's the last <laughs> thing I would say. I would, I would be, um, you know, I, I've said this in other interviews that I always think about, you know, what, what would my Nana, my grandmother tell me uh, how to behave or what to say? And she would say, Erica, that's none of your business. And you need to ask another more appropriate question. And so I, I think that if I was being um, PC and I was being formal, I would probably ask her what her greatest regret was. And, uh, and that um, what that regret was and if she was happy with the way that she lived her life once the Civil War came to a close and once she was a free person, that even with the trials and tribulations, what would she have done differently? So that, that those would have been my, that's my, my real question I would want to know. And then the question, my polite question that I would ask. <laughs> no, and, and, and all of them are, are great. And, and all that we would love to be uh, in, in the room to learn what her actual answer would be for both of those questions among probably a number of others that you have that for good reason, you're just going to be like, I'll just keep that in the, I'll just keep that in the back of my mind and let's, you know, <laughs> it might happen. Who knows? And so um, <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Dunbar. This has been an incredible opportunity. And to the listening audience here, once again, we had the opportunity to listen to none other than my professor, someone who, 
you know, has for the last two years been in just an important person. And this is, uh, you know, I'm nearing 60 interviews and this is the one that I was like, I gotta, I gotta find a way. And so thankfully, you know, she (laughs) came to slay was the perfect book to, to, to make this happen. And so once again, folks, we've had none other than Dr. Erica Armstrong Dunbar on to discuss her monumental new book, She Came to Slay, The Life and Times of Harriet Tubman. And also, y'all, if you like today's discussion, please rate us and review us wherever you get your podcast, New Books in African American Studies, which is a part of the New Books Network. And, you know, I am your host, Adam McNeil, and this has been an incredible opportunity to, to learn about an amazing Harriet Tubman and for all of us to be able to better understand one of the best and as Dr. Dunbar mentioned, more unknown figures in our country and really in, in, in black women's history, you know, globally. And so this has been a great opportunity as well, y'all. Until next time, once again, I am your host, Adam McNeil of New Books in African-American Studies, signing off over and out.